what a humbling experience this is for me uh, to be able to share briefly a devotional on leadership principles from the book of Proverbs. Especially humbling because many of you as alumni have lived out what it means uh, to have been a leader and still leading in different capacities. And others here who are aspiring uh, to be leaders. You know, we're living in challenging times where there are many leaders, self-proclaimed leaders, who have a, a vision and a passion for themselves and our world. On one extreme, you have the Islamist jihadists of ISIS who are hell-bent on establishing an Islamic caliphate at whatever the cost to human lives. And then on the other extreme, you have our friend Donald Trump, a self-made billionaire who has a vision of making America great again. Now, I share this to make a point. History gives us numerous examples of leaders who had great visions that were found faulty because of the character of the person behind the vision. And so I believe we must begin uh, the principles of leadership not with vision, although that's important, but with the leader's integrity and character. First, leaders need to have godly character. Listen to what Proverbs says. Good leaders cultivate honest speech. They love advisors who tell the truth. When good people are promoted, everything is great, but when the bad are in charge, watch out. Perhaps that's been some of your experience. Paul, writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, said this, Church leaders must be of good character and sincere. They should be tested first, and if they pass the test, then they should serve. You know, we live in a, in a culture where the focus is on charisma over character. We often promote uh, people with great talents and charisma only to find that they lack the godly character needed to be a good leader. The great preacher D.L. Moody said, Character is who you are in the dark. What are we like when no one's looking? Who are we when we're not on stage? Character is the real you. And God knows our character. You know, I found one of the best self-tests for leaders to gauge their character is to ask one's spouse. Few know the character of a leader better than their spouse. And there's a number of times in Proverbs that examples are given of character between husband and wife. I didn't put this one up, but I'll just quote it. Proverbs 21.9 says, Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And it's easy for a husband to smile and to be smug on hearing those words. And somehow I find Proverbs strangely, strangely silent when it comes to the quarrelsome husband. You know, I'm sure there's many a wife who would like to escape a husband who is hard to live with. But Christian leaders, be they male or female, husbands or wives, need to display the fruits of the Spirit, both in word and deed. So let me ask 
each of us a question this morning. Are you and I growing in godly character? Now that doesn't mean that you're perfect because this side of heaven, none of us will be perfect. I encourage each of us to find a mentor, an accountability partner, someone who will provoke us to love and good works. Yes, leadership begins with character because the Bible says character trumps charisma every time. And secondly, the second thing I believe is next to character, the second important principle would be effective leaders submit themselves first to God. Listen to what Proverbs says. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The key to godly leadership is submitting ourselves and our plans to God in order to accomplish his work. And the Bible is packed with examples of leaders who were unwilling to submit to God. The whole theme of the book of Judges is the leaders did what was right in their own eyes. A good leader needs to be a good follower, but first we need to be a good follower of God and submit to him. The story of Gideon found in Judges is a wonderful example of a leader who was willing to submit to God. There he was with an army of 40,000 and God looked and said, Gideon, far too many men Whoever wants to go home, let them go home. And 20,000 walked away. God looked again and said, Gideon, too many men. And then he gave him this rather strange instruction. He told the soldiers to go down to the river. And it says, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as the dog laps, you will set apart for himself. Likewise, anyone who gets down on his knees to drink. Now think about this. Gideon's men must have thought he had sunstroke. What way was this to run an army? What way was this to develop a battle strategy? Yet Gideon was willing to submit to God and to go into battle with just 300 soldiers. Gideon, I believe, followed what Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. Now, why is this principle so important? Well, I'm sure we've all encountered the leader who seems uh, to know it all. The kind of person who says, it's my way or the highway. Such a leader, I think, needs to listen to the words of Proverbs 16 from the message translation. God can't stomach arrogance or pretense. Believe me, he'll put those upstarts in their place. My friends, before we can ask people to follow us as a leader, we must be sure that we are willing to submit ourselves and our plans to God. Effective leaders are willing to submit first unto the Lord, and he promises to direct our paths. Thirdly, good leaders have a passionate vision. What is vision? Bill Hybels puts it like this. See if you agree. 
vision, he says, is a picture of a future that produces passion in people. Yes, vision is a picture of a preferred future. And in the Bible, through the prophets, and finally through Jesus, uh, we find out what this preferred vision is all about. Jesus said it so succinctly in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The vision is God's shalom, his presence, his peace in the midst of this creation which he brought into being. And then passion. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know, when we think of vision, many of us recall, I think, the most quoted verse in the Bible regarding vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, people perish. Some commentators say this is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in the Bible. Because vision here is not referring to a personal or organizational mission statement. Instead, it refers to a prophetic revelation from God. The truth here is, apart from God's word, society quickly spins into moral chaos. The standard English version, I think, gets more at the accurate meaning when it says, where there is no vision, prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. See, the word translated prophetic vision refers to God's word as special revelation. The word translated cast off restraint gives the picture of a society going away into moral and social chaos. And it's interesting to note that that word restraint is used in Exodus 32 at 25. When Moses spoke to the people, where Moses said, Moses saw that the people were running wild, for Aaron had let them get completely out of control, causing derision from their enemies. You remember the context Moses has been up Mount Sinai for quite a while waiting for this prophetic revelation from God, the Ten Commandments that would become the moral code for Israel. And meanwhile, Aaron is with the people of Israel and they're having an orgy round a golden calf which he had made. And Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and sees what's going around the golden calf, is mad and is angry. And he says to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a sin upon them? And listen to the words of Aaron. Aaron says, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, how they are prone to evil. Isn't that ironic? One leader, Moses, waits up the mountain for a prophetic vision from God, while another leader, Aaron, allows himself to be led astray because he has no prophetic vision guiding him and his people. And without no moral vision, they followed their evil passions. Now think about what happened here. Hadn't Moses taught Aaron that God's people 
had been brought out of Egypt for a special purpose? Didn't they know that they were God's chosen people? Surely they hadn't forgotten that they were on their way to the promised land. And for some strange reason, they were out of touch with their calling and vision. It's as if Bill Hybels has coined the phrase again, vision leaks. Picture vision being poured into a bucket with small holes in it. The vision, like water, leaks out and diminishes until it is barely a memory. You remember the instructions that God gave Moses to the people. He said, You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. Because vision leaks, we need leaders who can continually retell the story so that it becomes the guiding principle for people living out their journey with God. And fourthly, leadership is influence. Robert Clinton says, a leader is one who influences a specific group of people to move in a God-given direction. Proverbs says, the mark of a good leader is loyal followers. Leadership is nothing without a following. You see, leadership is not so much about position as it is about influence. It's not our position that makes us effective leaders. You know, you can be in a position in the church or a position here at Tyndale, but it's the influence that you have, not the position that makes you a leader. The true test of the leader is who is following you. And if we want people to follow us, I believe the leader must set an example to be a model as well as to be a motivator. As leaders, we must set the example and model. You know, kids learn by modeling. My son Andrew and I, we have a way of greeting each other when we start our conversation on the phone. It's more Irish than Canadian. We get on the phone and we say, how are you, big fella? That's Irish, by the way. And so uh, one day I phone Andrew, and I'm expecting this on the phone, and our two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter gets onto the phone, and I'm expecting to say, Hi, Grandpa. But I hear her say, How are you, big fella? (laughs) And my son thought this was hilarious. I wasn't happy at all. (laughs) You know? I want my petite little two-and-a-half-year-old to say, how are you, Grandpa? Now, was the problem Anjali? No, the problem wasn't Anjali. The problem was she was mimicking two guys that didn't set a very good model for her. (laughs) And you see, whether you like it or not, our lives are a model to others, both in what we do and what we say. That's why Paul made this whole thing of modeling the faith a principle in his discipleship. Listen to what he says here in Philippians 3.17. He says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Wow. How many of us really would have the nerve to call people to imitate our lives? 
but our kids do it every day. We are modeling through our actions. And there's a good chance our kids and our children will treat their spouses the way they saw us treat ours. Sheila, my wife and I, I had an intercultural marriage. I came from Ireland and married a fifth generation Canadian. And uh, we tried to model a healthy relationship. And one of my goals was to model how to fight fairly. How to fight fairly. After all, I am Irish. Uh, I remember when I was at Ontario Bible College uh, doing an internship with a very godly pastor. One day he took me aside and he said this to me. Robert, he says, in 40 years of marriage, I've never had an argument or a fight with my wife. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Now, you would have thought I would have been impressed with such a statement, but really I wasn't. You see, I don't think, and you can correct me afterwards, I don't think it's possible to have a healthy marriage if you don't have the occasional heated argument. If you're not, I would be concerned that either the husband or the wife is so domineering that the other was afraid to take a different point of view. You know? The Bible says, do not let what? The sun go down on your anger. It doesn't say don't get angry. Anger is a human emotion that needs to be expressed at times. So Sheila and I, we tried to model to our kids It's okay to have a heated argument because we're human after all. But we need to settle the argument before we go to bed. Don't drag it on to the next day, to the next week. See, we're modeling life whether we take responsibility for it or not. So let me ask you a question. How is your modeling career going? What kind of an example are you and I setting before others? Will it be one that will lead to life and blessing? But good leaders also need to motivate, not just to model, also to motivate. Proverbs says, a good leader motivates, doesn't mislead, doesn't exploit. Good-tempered leaders invigorate lives. They're like spring rain and sunshine. Former U.S. President Quincy Adams said, if your actions inspire others to do more, learn more, dream more, become more, then you're probably a good leader. Take the example of Nehemiah. He fearlessly motivated the people to rebuild the walls. He had a a clear and compelling vision. He motivated the disheartened people of Israel by assuring them God was with them in this building project. And too often as leaders, we can fall into the trap of motivating people for our own benefit. And if we do that, rather than motivate, we can manipulate and exploit rather than motivate. It is calling people to a higher purpose that we truly motivate. And as leaders, we're calling people to build God's kingdom, not our own. My fifth, and I'm almost through here, And my power is telling me I should, no, okay, 
Uh, my fifth point is good leaders seek wise wisdom. Being a leader does not mean we have to have all the answers. Leaders have the option of reaching out and getting the wisdom of others. Proverbs says, Refuse good advice and watch your plans fail. Take good counsel and watch them succeed. Proverbs 19.20 says, Take good counsel and accept correction. That's the way to live wisely and well. A great example of that was Moses. He's willing to, to listen to his father-in-law Jethro and it saved his relationship. Remember, Moses was close to burnout and Jethro came to him and he gave him advice on how to lead. Excuse me just a minute. Uh, Moses, Jethro says to Moses, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. You know, a movie I, I love to watch is called Meet the Parents, starring Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro. It portrays the interpersonal battle between Gaylord, a nurse by profession, and his soon-to-be father-in-law, Jack. The movie tracks the lack of trust between Gaylord and Jack until Jack puts Gaylord through a lie detector test. You know, the film reinforces the tendency that we stereotype our in-laws. And if we stereotype our in-laws, we'll never listen to their wisdom. Moses was willing to listen to the wisdom of his father-in-law. And then finally, good leaders have to deal with real problems. One of the challenges of being a leader is dealing with problems. I'm sure you've heard the saying, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the what? The kitchen. And if you haven't got a personality that can deal with problems, and then maybe it's best not to be a leader in that sense. Proverbs 28.2 says, When the country is in chaos, everyone has a plan to fix it. But it takes a leader of real understanding to straighten things out. Few of us will have to deal with problems at a national level. Instead, the problems that we deal with are from our own mistakes and the mistakes of others. But the role of the leader is finding wise solutions to what are sometimes complex problems. You know, my admiration for the leaders here at Tyndale has grown immensely over the last two years. It seemed that every month our leaders here at Tyndale were confronted with another unforeseen problem in our transition to this beautiful campus. Yet, as Proverbs suggested, because of their understanding, they were able to straighten things out. And uh, I want to say thanks for your example of effective leadership. And may it continue to sort the problems out that we continue to face here at Tyndale, as I'm sure it will. But leaders will also have to confront wrongdoing. Proverbs 16, 12 says, Good leaders abhor wrongdoing of all kinds. Sound leadership has a moral foundation. Think of the Apostle Paul, the challenge that he faced. He had to confront Peter 
his teammate. Peter withdrew from eating with the Gentiles. And Paul could have easily have let it slide, but he knew this was a challenge to the very essence of the gospel. And so Paul had to confront even his teammate. Not a difficult, not an easy thing to do. I do not enjoy conflict or confrontation. But here's the thing. If you and I are called to be leaders, then sometimes we have to do things that we may not enjoy. Listen to what Proverbs A hot-tempered man stirs up conflict, but a man slow to anger calms strife. I've had to apply that to my life many times. Let me close with an illustration. Uh, My wife and I worked in Kenya for seven years. We taught at a Bible college there, and half the staff were Kenyans and half were expatriates. And on one occasion, we were having a, a debate over changes to the curriculum. And in the heat of the moment, I turned to a missionary from the USA and I I blurted out, John, that is one stupid idea. Remember, I'm Irish, that's all I can say. The godly leader looked at me and calmly said, Mr. Cousins, retract that statement and apologize immediately. I said, Reverend Kindergore, I, I didn't call John stupid. I called his idea stupid. Mr. Cousins, retract that statement and apologize immediately. I learned in that cultural context, when you criticize an idea, you criticize the person. And looking back, I now realize I should have said something like, John... I'm having trouble understanding your idea. Could you, could you rephrase it so that I would understand it better? But you see, growing up in Ireland, I was never taught the skill of indirect <laughs> communication. Now, Proverbs 21, 23 says, The one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Friends, God desires us to be effective leaders. And Our alumni have demonstrated effective leadership in many different positions. It's having a godly character. It's willing to submit our plans to God. It's having a a passionate vision. It's influencing by modeling and motivating. It's surrounding ourselves with wise counselors. And it's dealing effectively with problems. May God help each one of us to be leaders, the kind of leaders that God desires. Let's bow in prayer together. Father God, again, what a humbling experience it is to stand before a group like this with so many years of experience in leading in missions, in leading in churches, in leading in organizations. And Father, yet your word gives us great insight and wisdom into becoming the kind of leaders that you call us to be. Father, we just pray that we reflect on these words and that we will apply it so that we can be the kind of leaders that you would say, well done, good and faithful leader. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.